Hi, my name is Erica Lorenz, and I am your host on this podcast, Adoptive Voyages. Adoptive Voyages serves and supports transracial adoptees with healing conversations that inform and encourage our listeners through the power of shared experience. Each episode will host a conversation with a fellow transracial adoptee to bring awareness and value to the unique ways our adoptee identity impacts our lives. Today, I have a wonderful guest. Her name is Annalisa Freitas. She is a young Peruvian adoptee, which is really cool because I'm also from Peru. She grew up in Central California. She's a casual YouTuber. From my perspective, I would say she's an activist, just embracing culture and building communities. So I'm very excited to have you here. Do you want to say hello? Hi, everybody. Thank you so much for having me, Erica. Of course, of course. Well, this is really cool to reconnect with you. For those who are listening, we actually found each other through, I believe it was a Facebook page back in 2017, 2018, when I was doing my thesis. And it's a place where other Peruvian adoptees worldwide get to connect. And she was kind of, were you one of the leaders of that or... Semi, you know, one of the, there is a bunch of different Proving Adoptees that had created Proving Adoptee networks in their respective areas around the world. And then we all kind of merged and merged all of our people into this one Facebook group. So yeah, in, in a way, yes, definitely. Awesome. Yeah. Well, corporate person. <laughs> yes. I know that was a huge, huge blessing to me when I found it. And so I'm just glad we get to reconnect. So why don't you just explain a bit about your story, feel comfortable to share whatever you would like to share, and we'll kick it off from there. Well, a little bit about me, because I feel like my journey continues to unfold all the time, all the time. (laughs) Um, I was born in Lima, Peru, but I was, all of my family's biological family's roots are in Wadi, which is a small city, almost a small town in the Ancash department. For those that don't know, Peru is divided into departments, kind of like how in the United States we have states. So a state is like a department, essentially. And in that region, it's known for being very mountainous. It's, continu- it's considered the Sierra. Mm-hmm. And um, my birth family was Quechua. And I was placed for adoption pretty immediately uh, after my birth mother was pregnant, I learned. And I was very fortunate that my adoption was an open adoption. So Mm. my mother, my adoptive mom, she went to Peru to finalize the adoption process and pick me up and take me back to the United States. And she was able to actually meet with my birth mother. And she always tells a story that she went to the attorney's office for the day she was going to meet me and, and take me home and that she was just expecting to meet me. But she ended up meeting my birth mother at the office. And when she walked in, my birth mother mm. was breastfeeding me. Oh, and she said cool. that really changed it just changed the kind of the whole excitement for her. Like she was excited, but it just yeah. gave her a really broader and like more complex kind of experience to it all. Yeah. Um, it just became kind of heavy. I think it became very real. And so she sat and talked with my birth mother and 
later they got together with the translator just because they couldn't speak too much to each other mm-hmm. without one and also yeah. the attorneys present they didn't want them talking yeah. so um, through that she was able to stay in touch with my birth mother and it was revealed that I also had an older biological brother he had already been placed for adoption four years prior and um, he had been raised by a Jewish family in Philip and not in Philadelphia proper but on the suburbs of Philadelphia and Pennsylvania okay. And so I grew up always knowing that I was adopted. I knew about my birth mother. I knew about my older birth brother. My mother ended up taking us to go visit him. He and his family came to visit us in California. And through the years, we stayed in touch with my birth mother. And um, later, she had another child who she did not place for adoption. And so I was also in touch with him. Um, So I have always kind of had a very strong sense of um being connected to my birth country and kind of accepting having multiple identities of being an american citizen but also being kind of a global citizen yeah and um, i decided to really pursue that further when i was older we went to go to peru when i was about 12 and i wanted to meet my birth mother and my birth brother uh in that trip unfortunately i wasn't able to meet my birth brother but we were able to reconnect with my birth mother Hmm. and we were there for about two weeks. I was also there with my older brother and his family, and it was just like a really impactful trip for me. Wow. And eventually I decided I really wanted to go back, and so when I turned 19, I ended up going to college there. I went to college in Lima for a little over a year. At that time, I did connect with my my younger birth brother, and um, that experience, again, also changed my life completely. Yeah, yeah so much about who I was and who I wanted to be in the world and it helped me see the United States from a very different perspective mm. and um, it's just shaped a lot of who I am and like I said I'll, I continue to stay in touch with my birth family members and continue to kind of explore you know what it what it means to be like I said kind of a, a true global citizen yeah wow one thank you for just sharing your story I love that you were able to be connected to your birth family as much as you were. I know that's like a unique thing that not every adoptee has, but the fact that, you know, you were able to visit your other adopted sibling in Philly, and then for both of you to travel at the same time to go meet your birth mother. I mean, I can't imagine how special that moment was. Something that bonds you for sure. (laughs) Oh yeah. You were like, okay, this is, this is happening. So that's really cool that you were as connected to your roots as you were able to be. So you mentioned you were able as an adult to go to Peru. You were there for a year in college. I guess like what were some key takeaways you took from that time? So I went to college that year. That was 2008 to 2009. So just to give perspective of how long (laughs) ago it was for me. (laughs) And Man, there's just, I'm like so many memories just flood my brain immediately when I think back about those times Mm. Uh, and a lot of emotions too still. There's so much that I feel like I just had to push myself on a lot of my preconceived notions about what it meant to be American. I think one of the biggest things that hit me the hardest when I went there was I didn't realize how... (laughs) <laughs> which maybe seems silly to some people, but I really didn't realize how big the United States was and 
how when they talk about the United States as like a global superpower, mm. like I really didn't understand what that meant. I mean, I was a teenager and to be honest, I really wasn't involved in politics when I was that young. I wasn't yeah. really engaged in it at that time. And so I just, I wasn't, I didn't know about like world economies and world politics and just how each of, you know, all of, all of the different decisions that our countries make, you know, impact each other. And so when I was there, I really felt it. I really felt like, oh, wow, Americans are getting a lot of privilege here. And like, we're getting a mm. lot of uh, like all the things that I see as just like pop culture in, in the United States is also re- somehow like really popular here, which I didn't think it would be, you know, like yeah. how are all these celebrities so known that are all American or sometimes Canadian, yeah. um, you know, <laughs> in this other country. Like, I just really didn't understand like that whole globalization effect. Yeah. Um, so I think that was the biggest thing was really seeing like, oh, wow, like being an American citizen is a really big deal. And mm. being a part of this country comes with like a lot of different baggages as much as it comes with a lot of advantages. Yeah. Uh, and wanting to really understand that history was like really important because I realized a lot of Peruvians knew American history in some ways more than I did. Wow. And that was really that was just like a really big mind opener for me. I think the other thing was. Um, going in and feeling, like I said, I had this really strong connection to my Peruvian identity, which I realized was not, in my, in my experience, is how I would put it. I realized it wasn't really a Peruvian identity. It was my own identity based on what I thought I knew about Peru. It was a lot yeah. of top line stuff that I had been given. Lots of almost like touristies type of stuff, you know, like llamas, Cusco, things like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, you know, there was just... I just didn't have the complexity. And again, like, I don't, I don't know that I was ready for it at that age in yeah. any case. But when I was there, I did realize like, oh, I thought I was acing all my Spanish classes in high school and in college even. And here I'm getting into the grocery store and they're asking me, I knew later if I wanted a plastic bag and I couldn't even understand them. I'd had, even with all the context yeah. clues, like, I was like, I have zero idea what's being said to me right now. Yeah. Um, so just like really knowing like the language was really different than, you know, what I heard as Spanish and academic settings and in California. Right. And then also realizing like, oh, I have a totally different idea of a Peruvian identity um, being away from Peru and then actually living it like that really mm. shaped how I see myself. And I, and I think, you know, to this day, I always feel most comfortable claiming a Peruvian adoptee identity. I don't necessarily mm. feel like, oh, I'm 100% Peruvian. Ah, like, which yeah. I kind of, I mean, I am, let's, you know, legitimately being born from the country, but it's just different. It's just different for me. I I really find myself being in that space of really feeling more close to the Peruvian adoptee community. Yeah. Um, as much as I do feel that living in Peru that year, it helped me get so much deeper into the Peruvian culture at the same time. So those yeah. are a couple of things. Yeah, no, thanks for sharing that. There's definitely a, a few things I want to go back and touch base on. You talked about learning about like the globalization perspective and the privilege, but also the disadvantages or hardships that baggage that comes with being American. And as an adoptee in America, understanding and unpacking that, but while in Peru. Can you expand a little bit more on that? Like I Absolutely. Yeah. It's great that you asked that because I think that was also another big 
bubble of mine that got burst was I was like, I'm going to my homeland. I'm going (laughs) to be welcomed with open arms. It's going to be this like grand return. You know, I had, when I had first gone back to Peru when I was 12, I was really excited at first. I've been pushing for it, honestly, for years with my mom. Um, And it, you know, only for financial reasons, we hadn't gone, but finally had, you know, saved up, we went, but uh, right before we left, I got extremely scared. I, I remember leaving the house. Like it's like in the movies when you see like people putting their face against the windows and like the rain's pouring yes. down. It was like that type of a scene where I was like looking out the car window at my house, mm-hmm. driving away as we were going to the airport. And I was like, it really hit me in that moment where I was thinking, oh my gosh, like I don't <laughs> I don't know where I'm going. Like yeah. I'm supposedly going to like my country but I've never been there like really some unconscious time there when I was a baby and so I got really scared and I was crying about leaving my home Mm. and then at the end of the two weeks I was crying because I was leaving Peru I was like I don't want to leave this country I don't want to go back to the United States like it really was such a roller coaster of emotions and so the same thing happened at 19 as well you know I was like man I was so excited going I'm so happy. I was so happy when I left. I know I'm going to be happy coming back. And mm-hmm. the entire time leading up to the trip, as I got closer and closer, it was like one week I was like, oh my God, I'm so excited. I'm finally going back to Peru. I'm going to go finally get really fluent in, in Spanish. Like I've always wanted, yeah. like I was kind of hitting a plateau in my studies at that point. Cause it's yeah. not immersion, you know, right. You only get so much practice. So I was like, I'm going to like dominate Spanish and I'm going <laughs> to go meet my birth brother for the first time and I was just like so hype and then the next week I'd be like what am I doing why am I dropping out of college to go to this other college like how am I gonna survive like it's so far away what is gonna happen you know it was just like so up and down and so by the time I did get there I think I was you know excited again and I was happy to be there and um, once the language barrier hit and the reality of like, oh, I can't understand Peruvian Spanish. <laughs> I literally didn't leave my house for two days because I just didn't, I was too scared to even get on the bus. I was afraid to get lost. Like I wasn't afraid of the people or anything. I was just afraid of not being able to get around with my language barrier. And the mm-hmm. problem is if you're usually visiting a foreign country, it's you, you're almost I would say most places it's very obvious that you're not from that country just by alone, you know, maybe a little different in the United States, you know, and it's different in general as like immigration increases everywhere. But a lot of times when you especially come to a place like Peru, like you're seeing a lot of white people, they could be German, you know, they could be from other countries, um, Spain or Spanish people, you know, there's a lot of Venezuelans in Peru right now you can just tell they're not Peruvian um, just by look a lot of times. And that's how it was back then, at least uh, back in 2008. And so when I went, I didn't have that advantage of like, oh, she's a white girl. She's not from here. Everybody looked at me and was like, why can you not talk to me? Yes. Yes. (laughs) Why are you not following my instructions or like listening to me or just responding in a timely manner? Like that was a really big challenge for me was like Mm -hmm. I said, not just the language itself, but it felt like this expectation of I know people recognize me and then once they are recognizing me as like one of their own, like they look at my face and they see a Peruvian person, yep. then they're super stump- stumped and like really sometimes frustrated 
about yeah. that. And then there was also the times when I was around, I was living in an international house. So hmm. I was around other Americans, Germans, Spanish people, Japanese people. There was a whole bunch of people from various countries that had come to study for their year abroad. And when we would, you know, they wanted to go out, go to the clubs or whatever. And so we would go out and it just felt very, I felt like I really wanted to be a part of the Peruvian community and not mm. feel like an outsider, like barging in. And yeah. yet I didn't feel comfortable being, I wasn't a native to Peru, so to speak, uh, in the way that everyone that's born and raised there is. And then I just felt really like lost. I felt super yeah. lost about it all. And I felt, and I could see how differently my friends were treated that were blonde haired and blue eyed, um, given, you know, fawned yeah. over, talked to, like just people paid attention to them. And mm. when I say people, I mean the Peruvian people paid attention to them a lot. Yeah. Um, at the nightclubs, you know, they could get away with standing on the speakers and like, dancing and just kind of acting wild and mm. like you know the photographers wanted to take pictures of them and I was just always pushed to the side and yeah, I remember one time my one of my German friends was like yeah I see it like I when we're together like I see how they treat us and how they treat you you know yeah. it felt very much like I said I was expecting this like warm reception and I felt like man I'm like not even valued here as like a Peruvian person and yeah. I'm like, man, I don't even know if I want to be proving now. Like, <laughs> I yeah. was like feeling so conflicted about all of it. It was like, it was very hurtful for me at the time. I took it very, very much to heart. Um, and it was confusing. And, and like I said, I kind of had to really like <laughs> mentally battle and emotionally battle kind of some of those experiences that I went through. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like a like tsunami of emotions as you're processing like, okay, I am an outsider, but I'm not. I belong because I was born here, but I don't, um, which, you know, then we have the whole, like, which community do I want to connect with right. the, like international students or the Peruvian ones? How do I want to be perceived? Like that's a lot to unpack and just feel and process. And, oh man, at the age of 19, <laughs> like yeah. everybody else was there for like a good time, you know? So. Yeah. Yeah. They're just like, I'm just here hanging out. And you're like, I'm trying to find my roots and yeah. I'm trying to know who I am. <laughs> and this is like a, a very important mm -hmm. part of my life and my yeah. story. You know, you made a comment earlier about, I consider myself a Peruvian adoptee and mm -hmm. not Peruvian, not adoptee in America, mm -hmm. um, but Peruvian adoptee. And I, as a Peruvian adoptee, like, <laughs> yes, that is how I should explain it. Did you feel that after your experience of living there for college, or was that something you always carried around as a child moving? I think, uh, yeah, I think it's gone through so many phases, how yeah. I've yeah. myself in different ways. And I think now the proven adopted identity is always at the core of my identity. And then there's other kind of like identities that I explore a little bit more. I think one as of late being my Quechua family's identity and mm. like understanding like, am I native? Do I feel native? Am I indigenous? Do I feel indigenous? What does that mean to me? How, yeah. how do I express that? How do I claim yeah. that? How do I not appropriate that? You know, all these different um questions around that but I think again going right back to specifically the proven adoptee identity that really came to me after being there 
I think really living there, meeting my birth family again, you know, building relationships with people, not just like seeing a face or seeing a name or doing that one time, you know, birth family reunion and calling it a day. Like I really built um, and, and continuing to figure out how to build long lasting relationships, like true family relationships with my birth family. So yeah. I think for me, knowing how different that family is from my adoptive family, yeah. knowing how far apart we are, we are worlds apart in so many ways. There's things that we of course connect over and I have, you know, stronger relationships with some of those family members than others. Um, but we are really far away. And I think being in Peru, I got to be there and got to be on the ground with my people, broadly speaking, and my birth family. Yeah. And that that did make me feel like I'm like rooted in my Peruvianness. I really did mm. feel that. Um, and I felt like, yes, this is mine and this is who I am. And like, I'm a part of this bigger piece of history. And yet... I'm also not like I still stumble across words. I still don't know like the expressions that maybe my family is using. There's things that culturally I find offensive or um, completely at odds with. And so for me, that that to me is like the more adoptee side of who I am as well. That is kind of forged through experience more nurture versus nature. So I think. that's definitely being in Peru during my year in college was a huge part of me coming to feel more solidified in and comfortable again in being a Peruvian adoptee. Yeah, I, I love that. So that's really cool. And again, I know not everyone has the opportunity to go and spend a year in their birth country um, or their home totally. country and just being able to take that, process it, and continue to process it, right? It's been 10 plus years, and and yet it's still something you're unpacking and like, okay, this is how I'm going to move forward with it now that I know what I know. That's beautiful. So yeah. I just Thank you. appreciate that. I know you and I were chatting before this, and you kind of talked about like, yeah, I learned a lot of history and context for my adoption story. So if you can kind of relay that to the listeners that would be great yeah sure I I think growing up again uh being in an adoption that was open was I think a big factor in me being interested in my adoption and knowing that it was okay to talk about and then having an adoptive parent that also was very open with talking about my adoption Mm. and sharing pictures and documents and my adoptive parent, my mother, she is a documenter. Um, Mm. She is a receipt keeper. She is a historian (laughs) of the family. So that is definitely something that benefited me because all of my life was documented, you know, literally in legal documents as much as in her stories and through pictures and video recordings, um, videotape, VHS for all those 80s babies out there. That was something that I think, and I think, you know, probably me, my personality is just like a curious person that all kind of fed into me wanting to know as much as I could about my adoption experience and my birth country and Peru and wanting to go even visit in the first place. Yeah. Um, And again, feeling the pride, feeling proud of where I came from and then Mm. wanting to know more about it. And so I think when I was very young, I had uh, pretty like rosy ideas about the country and about my own adoption and kind of like what led to it all. And 
my mom, of course, had talked to my birth mother about a lot of the de- details of my personal adoption as much yeah. as she could get, but also, you know, she didn't know a lot of the details and it was only from my birth mother's side and it was through a translator and there's a lot broader context there. There's the context mm. of what about my birth father? What would he have to say about these things? You know, yeah. was the way that he viewed the relationship between him and my birth mother the same as she viewed it? I don't know that. That's not a question I don't have answered because I don't have contact with my birth father at this time. There's also the context of, um, you know, again, what led my birth mother to place me for adoption. Yeah. That was very a gender a very gendered dis- decision i would say because like i said my older brother was adopted when he was a bit older and i was placed for adoption pretty much like before i was even born essentially mm. like that was a negotiation um because it was basically laid out that as a woman like i wouldn't have any opportunity if mm. i was a man i could work i could support my birth mother but if i was a woman like there wasn't really going to be too much right. for me to do and yeah. like, contribute and offer. Um, and I would have possibly better opportunities elsewhere. So mm. that was another aspect. And then again, like the broader political context when my, when my mother went to go adopt me in Peru, it was during the time of Sendero Luminoso. And there was a lot of terrorist activity in the country. Um, and that's something that, I only knew about, again, through the lens of what my mother had told me, and I didn't really get a lot of history about that part of the the time in the country until I went to college there, and I took a class called Peruvian Social Reality, Um, it was Realidad Social Peruana, and I went to school at the, it's called La Católica, it's the, the, what is it called, the acronym is PUCP, Pontificia Universidad Católica del Perú. There's, there's these universities all over Latin America, well, South yeah. America, really. Um, but I went to the one in Lima. And so I took that class because I was so eager to understand, yeah. like, what were the, what, like, why, not just personally, why does a woman decide to place her child for adoption? But like, what would, what are the causes that forces her to do so? Yeah. Like, that's a very, to me, a very intense decision to make. And not only adoption, but adoption in transnationally, that, that was just like a lot. And I was like, how, like, who's paying for what? And where's the money going? And like, how does she get connected to an attorney? I just had, I just had a lot of those questions as I got older that I didn't mm. understand um, when I was young. And so learning about all of these different factors that factor into why, of course, also that the U.S. and Peru had this agreement of, you know, Peru sending babies yeah. to the United States and, and only in certain places and only with certain types of families. And it was only for a certain period of time. Yeah. Um, now, essentially, adoptions closed between the United States and Peru. And when I say that, too, it's like it's not that the United States is sending babies to Peru. It's that Peru sends babies to the United States. Right. That's the right. way it works. Yeah. You, they're considered a sending country, whereas like the Americans are considered receivers. Yep. So it was like, it's just all these things that I was like, wow, I had no idea about all, like, and, you know, and I don't know if that anyone could explain that to me when I was, you know, five yeah. or six or 10 yeah. or 12. So I think um, uh, it, it did get darker as I got yeah. older, to be quite frank. You know, I, I, I was always told my mom actually raised me with a bedtime story about my adoption that I like mm. would beg her to tell me over and over every night. 
And it was all about like her flying on this plane over the beautiful Andes mountains and meeting mm. with this woman that said that she loved her baby girl and she wanted her to have a different family and that, you know, my mother picked me up. And it was just, it was honestly a story that I memorized by heart when I was a child. Mm. I unfortunately do not remember it now. And neither <laughs> did my mom. I truly wish that we had written that down. That was one oh, thing man. she didn't document, funnily enough. Oh, no. <laughs> um, but it was this really beautiful, beautiful, sweet, very wow. like innocent story <laughs> that I loved to hear. And, and like I said, it made me feel good. And and that was what I needed at that time. And that's what I wanted to hear most likely. I didn't, I didn't push too much, you know, when I was growing up listening to that bedtime story. And, but it changed as I got older. As I got yeah. older, I had more questions and I had the opportunity to find more information as well. Yeah. Do you feel like knowing that your story or your perspective of your story got a bit darker growing up? Do you think that's like a common theme for other adoptees or um, I guess like how do you process that as you're like, okay, yeah. this is not the, the Disney movie picture <laughs> that I, right? That I fantasize yeah. of this yeah. almost like romantic story of how I became this gift or this blessing to mm -hmm. another family. Yeah, that's a really good question. To be honest, it's something that I don't know that I've like specifically talk to other Peruvian adoptees about mm. um, like very broadly. I think, yeah. I think one of the things that I feel like is a bit distinct with my story, maybe like half and half, the half of the Peruvian adoptees I know had gone to their birth country as well when they were very young, you know, under yeah. 15 years old. Then there's like another half that are just now exploring or yeah. are having kids of their own or are building families of their own and are like, mm. you know what? I have some questions about my birth family and my birth roots. Yeah. And, maybe even just as baseline or, you know, a lot of people like to say like, oh, it's my medical history. I want to know the medical, mm, yep. my medical answers, which I think as I've gotten older, I've also seen like, I, I'm like, I feel like it's like a little bit of, I don't want to say an excuse. I don't want to throw shade down. Like but yeah. Yeah. But it's, yeah. I'm like, I think there's more there <laughs> is yeah. what I'll say. I think yeah. there's more there. I think, I think though that when people are like, why do you want to find your birth family? It's easy to be like, oh, medical history. That's why yep. leave it at that. But yeah. it's a lot more emotional than just that. So anyhow, I think with with other people that are getting darker in their stories, I think that's why a lot of people that I know that don't pursue meeting their birth mm -hmm. family is because I think they know it's going to potentially not go great. Yeah. <laughs> I think they know either it's not they maybe project that it's not gonna go well or they feel like they have maybe not so positive feelings about the people that were involved with their adoption. Um, that's my kind of assumption and maybe my own projection too, but it seems yeah. like, um, things get really, do get really real as you get older and you ask the bigger questions and you, you ask, like, you keep asking why and why and why, and you unfold more and more. Um, I think that there is some reality checks that do have to happen. And I think also I've seen other proven adoptees where they depend on their parents, their adoptive parents as a mm. source of information. Mm. And I do think that also leads to disappointment um, because even my, my adoptive mother, you know, she did an amazing job recording all of the information she could. Yeah. And also like, she didn't speak Spanish. She wasn't right. able to get everything or, you know, she didn't live there, you yeah. know, after living there, like I kind of knew the questions to ask or kind of, new things got brought up, you know, that I realized I had never thought about before. 
And so that, that's something that maybe will feel like, even if it's not like dark, it will feel like, Hey, I feel a type of way because there was information that was left out that maybe I thought you should have, or could have told me. Um, so I think that's definitely, there's a bunch of little pieces like that that go into more complicating that story, complicating your, your adoption story as you get older, for sure. Yeah. In my story, like as I get older, it just seems like the boxes of information just keep coming. I'm like, okay, cool. We cleaned it out. I know all the information. And then I like turn around and there's another box and I'm like, what, (laughs) where did this come from? And I, great way to put it. (laughs) Yes. I think it's one of the, the reasons why, you know, people historically have said like adoption, it's a closed case once you're adopted. Okay. You're adopted period. And yet adoption is this lifelong process, especially for the adoptee who is constantly pulling information out, um, whether that's intentional or not, (laughs) it just happens. And so, yeah, it's just interesting hearing another adoptee say like, yeah, it started to get a little darker. And, (laughs) um, and I think that does have an attribute to how America as a country painted adoption, right? It, especially international adoption, it became this. Yeah. Thing, <laughs> this blessing that people would do, um, you know, and I think adoption can be really great and good. And, and yet mm-hmm. there's so many different things you have to navigate once that yeah. action has, um, or that journey has started. So totally. yeah. Final question is just like, where are you now in just processing your adoption, your adoptee, proving adoptee identity, um, how are you plugged in with the adoption community? And then, yeah, we'll, we'll close it out. I think for the, the time being, I would say I'm much more focused on continuing to stay in touch with my birth family and mm-hmm. figure out how to do that in the best way. Yeah. I think balancing life I mean, it's already hard enough to stay in touch with close family and friends for me. And right now I'm actually starting a grad program. I'm doing a marine biodiversity and conservation master's. Congrats. So, you know, thank you. It's definitely been a huge, a huge time for me to focus on all of that. And um, my mom, my, my adoptive mom is getting a bit older. So there, it just feels like, man, life is really changing fast and there's a lot of things to keep up with. And I think that's the one thing for me right now that has felt priority is keeping up mm. with my birth family. There's been a lot of things that have happened during the pandemic and yeah. um, just over the past couple of years that have really changed things. And so yeah. I'm really hopeful that I'll be able to go back and visit soon. I haven't visited in several years. Yeah. And um, I think again, with my adoptive family being very small and my mom really being my core family in the United States at this point, it's given me a lot of thought about, you know, if I'm not attached to any place necessarily through family, um, and I don't have children of my own or anything like that, then maybe I'll choose to go back to Peru again and like invest in, in building my connections with my birth family, um, again and, and see how that goes, you know, that's not set in stone that that's something, you know, that's going to be an easy journey at all. But, um, that's a possibility. And for me, something that's, I would really love, I think I would love to pursue at some point. And I think, um, as far as being connected with the proven adoptee community, I'm not as formally engaged and involved these days. I, 
feel like I'm definitely available <laughs> um, and I, I try to be available to people um, and to like the broader adult adoptee community as well. Um, but I'm no longer working in the post-adoption space. Um, I'm no longer, like I said, you know, facilitating necessarily uh, in-person or virtual meetups um, with the different Peruvian adoptee networks. And I do miss that a bit. And um, at the same time, I also have a few of my closest friends who I've known since I was honestly a child um, mm. because of the fact that in the area near me in the Bay Area of California where I grew up, there was a, a big mass of Peruvian adoptees and their families that gathered every year. So we gathered since we were children up to, you know, just under being adults and had a couple adult reunions as well, but we don't really get together anymore. But the good news is that we are still in touch. And so I'm in touch kind of broadly with many of those people. But like I said, I have a couple of people that um, are basically my family, you know, yeah. if I'm going to say, you know, besides my adoptive family and my mom, and my birth family, like those, those core proven adoptees like that, those are my family. So um, that's kind of the way that I stay in touch for the most part. Yeah, that's awesome. Thanks for kind of touching base on the balancing act. Non-adoptees understand, uh, okay, if you end up getting married, you have your spouses or your partners, in-laws, and then you have yeah. that family dynamic. Um, as a still semi-recent married woman, like, I'm just like, oh, okay, so for this holiday, your <laughs> family or my adoptive family, or right. I'm like, I really want to see my siblings again, like my birth siblings, yeah. like how do you navigate that balance? And so yeah. I just appreciate you acknowledging that for the listeners, for us, for me, because uh, I think that's <laughs> a reality people don't necessarily have in mind. Um, and then, yeah, I just love that you have the opportunity to stay in touch with some people, whether that's you know, close friends of yours that are also proving adoptees or you, you know, still have access to like online meetups and whatnot, but totally. I think the community aspect is huge. So I just moved to San Diego for my grad program. And just the other day, it was so almost like a eerily coincidental that another proving adoptee reached out to me and was like, Hey, I'm in San Diego. And I wanted to see like what part of California you're in. Yes. And I was like, Oh my gosh, I'm moving to yes. your city right now. So that is awesome. Yeah, I'm hopeful to make some more connections in my yes. new, my new yeah. city too. <laughs> very cool. Very cool. Well, I just want to say thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you for just sharing your your thoughts and your experiences and your story. And um, I know it's going to touch people that are listening. So really appreciate that. I, I did mention at the beginning, you are a casual YouTuber. So if people were like, hey, I was like touched by this story. How do I connect? Um, do you want to maybe make a shout out to yourself? <laughs> of course. I, I will happily toot my own little horn. I yes. love making videos as a hobby. So I would totally love for people to go check them out. I have right now a bunch of different um, vlogs and videos. Some are music, some are sports, some are just kind of travel vlogs. Um, and then I have a, a few little section of adoption focused videos about my adoption story and um, my adoptee experience. So those are those might be more relevant for folks to check out and you can do that on my youtube channel you look for the username uh freda lisa it's a combination of my first name and my last name so that's f-r-e-i-t-a-l-i-s-a -I freda lisa um or you can just drop in annalisa freitas into your youtube search bar and it there should be some videos that pop up 
Awesome. And then I also just wanted to note too, it's not necessarily my personal channel, but it's the broader Peruvian adoptees channel um, connected to the global you know, network of Peruvian adoptees. And that one is literally just Peruvian adoptees. If you type in Peruvian adoptees into YouTube search, you'll definitely see that channel. And I've got a ton of videos on there cool. with discussions about various aspects of being an adoptee and, you know, being a, exploring more of my adoption journey. Yeah. Thank you for sharing those out. I think the more resources, the better. So I just love seeing what resources people have. Well, again, thank you so much. And thank you as well. Yeah. It was a great conversation. It I really was. Appreciate it. Yes, of course. Thank you for listening to this week's episode as Annalisa shared her experiences gaining a better understanding about her Peruvian adoptee identity. To continue supporting this resource for transracial adoptees, please consider making a financial donation at adopteevoyages.org. Stay connected by following Adoptee Voyages on Instagram and Facebook. And finally, join me next week for another Adoptee Voyages episode. Thank you.